Welcome, everyone. Y'all here tonight? <laughs> all right. Thank you all for coming tonight. I hope that uh, you all receive a blessing and encouragement from coming tonight. I hope your week has gone well so far, and I hope you have a good uh, rest of the week. Uh, thankful that we can come and gather together as the Lord's people tonight. And uh, let's just go to the Lord and pray and ask His blessings on our time of worship and Bible study tonight. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the grace that you have shown to us that we do not deserve. We thank you that we have the privilege tonight to be called your people and to gather as the family of God to study your word and uh, to gain truth and insights from it that we might apply to our lives as we seek to live out the gospel uh, that you have so graciously and lovingly applied to our hearts. Uh, Father, we pray your blessings on this time. May your name be glorified and exalted. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, over the last uh, couple of Wednesday nights, we've been starting to walk through this uh, little book of Ruth together. And so far, we've made it to about verse number 18. And uh, we've seen in the first part of chapter one, incredible loss. The loss of family, the loss of husband, the loss of sons. And Naomi is a woman who feels destitute. She feels like she's lost everything. And, but in the grace of God, God has not abandoned her, has he? God has not abandoned her. He has provided for her a daughter-in-law, Ruth, who has expressed to her incredible love and commitment and loyalty, who has determined to stay with her through thick and thin. And that's the grace of God at work in Ruth's heart but also for the sake of Naomi, one of his children as well. And so God is drawing people to himself in Ruth, a Moabitess, and he is also encouraging and strengthening and working in providentially his people in Naomi. And so I want to begin reading in verse number 15. This is, uh, we looked at verses 15 through 18 primarily last week, but I wanted to just kind of get a running start and remind us of the firm commitment of loyalty that Ruth made to Naomi. And so in verse 15, it says that uh, as they were walking down the road, that uh, Naomi said to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. One of the most uh, incredible expressions of faith and commitment and loyalty that you will find in all of Scripture. She says, it doesn't matter where we go. It doesn't matter where we stay, where we live. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. I am going with you no matter what. And most importantly, she affirms her faith, doesn't she? Your God will be my God. She is making a claim, a religious claim there, isn't she? A claim of faith, a claim of belief that I am forsaking my gods 
and I am turning to the one true God, the God of Israel. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. So not only in this life, but even after you die, Naomi, I'm, I'm becoming and it's essentially an Israelite. I'm going to Israel, I'm going to Bethlehem, and I'm going to stay there for the rest of my life, even if, which is most likely, you die before me. I'm gonna stay there no matter what. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And then in verse number 19, we see a new scene, which is really the, uh, the two women after their long journey entering into Bethlehem. And so verse 19 says, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And so I want to take a look more in depth, beginning in verse number 19. And it says, The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. That is an, a very, um, that's an understatement of a summary because basically in just a few words, he described probably a week or 10 day journey through the desert of two women, two widows going from Moab back to Bethlehem. And he just casually says, so they went on their way and then they came to Bethlehem. It's a long journey. It's a lot that happened between verse 18 and verse number 19. But the Lord was faithful to them, wasn't he? So you can see the Lord's providential guiding hand all the way through this story. Here's the thing. Even when the verse doesn't specifically say it. That's something to keep in mind when we're reading any Old Testament narrative any story of scripture. And I want us to think about this because our tendency when we read scripture, especially when we read stories in the Bible, our tendency is to focus on the people, isn't it? Our tendency is to focus on the people and, and the people become the main characters and we focus our attention on them. But here's the thing, with every biblical story, God is behind the scenes in every single one of them, isn't he? He's there. And in this chapter, we see little hints along the way that God's hand is moving, that God's hand is in this. But even when the verse doesn't tell us anything about that, doesn't hint at anything about it, doesn't specifically say it, we assume from a biblical worldview that God is there, that he's moving, that he's active, involved in their lives. And so even though the author just quickly passes over this long journey, it was God's providential grace that got them there from Moab to Bethlehem. And it's interesting that it draws attention to the two of them because this is in contrast to most of chapter one, which was a dialogue between three of them. There was Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. 
And much of chapter one was their dialogue back and forth about whether they were going to go or stay in Moab. But now there's two. Orpah's gone. She's, she's gone from the scene. And now the focus is on Naomi and Ruth, the two of them. And they come to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And it says when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Can, to try to imagine, uh, it's in your mind's eye, you can probably do this to some degree. Just imagine a scene that maybe you've seen from a movie, maybe an old um, biblical movie like uh, the Ten Commandments or something like that. And uh, you see uh, a typical ancient Near Eastern village in the middle of a desert. And so you've got all these people, they're wearing uh, ancient robes, they're carrying probably baskets of grain, they're carrying pitchers of water, they're, they're carrying straw or wood or whatever, they're just going about their day. You got people out in the field who are doing their work, they're farming work, harvesting, and here are these two women who pass through the gates of the town. And we'll see these gates of the town come to focus later on in chapter four. But the gates of the town is where all the, everything happened. It was like town square, the gates of, of the town, because that's where people came in and out. The gates of the city is where uh, important business was conducted among the elders of the city. And so here you have these two women enter, and this was a scene that probably happened every day. People coming in and out of Bethlehem, travelers going in and out. But these two women are different because the, the people of Bethlehem have not seen Naomi in at least a decade, probably more. Well, we don't know the exact timeline of how long they were in Moab, but it, it's at least 10 years. And so they see this woman that they know, that they grew up with, that they were good friends with. She walks through the gates with another woman at her side. And the verse is literally, the town was in an uproar. It's, it's like, a, you know, the, the word that is used here is uh, the idea of to throw into confusion, into disorder, uh, to go wild basically. Think of like uh, not a negative, violent, tear things down riot, but think of a happy, joyous, excited riot. That's basically what's happening with the people of Bethlehem when they see Naomi come through the gates of the town. They're excited to see her and they're saying, can this be? Is it possible that this is Naomi, in the ancient world, you had no guarantees that you were going to see anybody ever again, especially when they left and made a journey of that length, of that distance. You might not ever see them again. Is it possible that this is Naomi? She's back home. But notice Naomi's response. She says to them, don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara. What does Naomi mean? Naomi, from the best that we can tell, means something like the pleasant one. That's what her name meant. And so they're saying, can this be the pleasant one, Naomi walking through the gates of the town? And she says, no, it's not. I'm not the pleasant one anymore. Call me Mara. What does Mara mean? Mara means bitter. It means bitter. 
She says, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. In other words, she's coming back home a different person than when she left. And she's going to allude to that in the next verse. But she went away with much. She's coming home empty-handed. She says, call me bitter. And notice her acknowledgement of the sovereignty of the Lord. Because the Almighty, literally El Shaddai, the Almighty One, has dealt very bitterly with me. He's made my life very bitter. A couple of things about Naomi here. One, she has the right theology of providence, that God's hand is in everything, but it's deficient. It's, it's almost there, but it's not all the way where it should be from the lens of faith. Because it's one thing to see God's hand in everything, which she did and she acknowledged that. It's another thing to trust that God's hand in everything is watching out for us and for our ultimate good. She wasn't there yet. She acknowledged the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, but she did not yet have the eyes to see how it was good. And so from her perspective, she felt like God's hand was really heavy on her and continued to pour out um, just events that were bitter, hard to deal with in her life. And so she says to the people of the town, I went away full. I went away with a lot. I had a husband. I had sons. I went away full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. So don't call me Naomi, the, the pleasant one. Call me Mara because the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I want to pause here and think about the fact that when we're going through trials and difficulties, our vision of our experience is often hazy, isn't it? It's blurred. And sometimes we can't see things the way that we really should see them. In fact, the way that they really are. When we are going through trials, intense suffering, sometimes we have a tendency to misremember the past. And whenever you're going through hardship and the moment right now in the present seems incredibly hard, Anything else seems rosy, doesn't it? And so what she's doing is she's comparing her present circumstances to really, I think, an idealized, kind of a blurred version of her past. She says she went away from Bethlehem full, but she came back empty. In the passage, it's actually an irony because they left Bethlehem originally empty-handed, didn't they? Because it was a famine. It was a famine. They had nothing. So yes, she had a husband. Yes, she had sons, and that's what she's referring to here. But it's also an irony because when they left Bethlehem, there was no food. They literally had nothing. 
they probably left with just a few possessions and the clothes on their backs, and they went to Moab. No food in Bethlehem. But now they're coming back, and Naomi says, I'm coming back empty-handed, but really she's not, is she? She thinks she's coming back empty-handed because she's lost a husband and she's lost two sons, but she's not coming back empty. She's got Ruth, doesn't she? And not only that, but this passage ends with an incredible statement of God's grace when he says that they arrived as the barley harvest was beginning. And why was there a barley harvest? Because of what we saw earlier in chapter one, the Lord had visited his people by providing them with bread, with food. So it's actually the opposite of what she thinks. She thinks I left full, but now I'm coming back empty. Really, she left empty handed with nothing, but now she's coming back full because she has God's blessing of grace on her with Ruth and she's coming back to a place now that is about to bring in a harvest of food. She's full, but she doesn't recognize it. That's something that we need to remember. In the moment of trial, our vision is blurred and it's hard to see things clearly. And we start to compare our present suffering with other times and we get a flawed version, I think, of, of the past in our lives that maybe wasn't as glorious as we think it was. The past that she's referring to when she left full was actually full of hardship and famine and difficulty. That's why they had to leave to begin with. So her, her perspective is not quite clear, but she acknowledges that she's had the hand of the Lord seemingly, at least from her perspective, against her. And a lot of misfortunes have happened to her. But notice verse 22. Naomi returned from Moab. And here's more of the irony. Accompanied by. She's not empty-handed. She has a companion. And not just any companion, but a loyal one, a faithful one, one who loves her self-sacrificially and has said, I'm going to go with you no matter what. So she's coming back with Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. And there is much that we can learn from the book of Ruth. I think one of the overriding themes of the book of Ruth is the providential hand of God. That is at work through both the hard times and the good times in our lives, weaving together his ultimate purposes for us. So that's, an, that's a big theme in Ruth. But I think we also see a theme running through the whole book that is alluded to here in verse 22. And that is the repeated reference to Ruth's identity as a Moabite. Why is that significant? Well, because the people of Israel were supposed to be set apart, weren't they? They were supposed to be separate. They were supposed to be distinct from the Gentiles. But here we have a Moabite woman, Ruth, coming into the family, coming into Israel and welcomed, isn't she? She's welcomed. Now, the emphasis of the Old Testament is not on the mission to the Gentiles as much as it is in the New Testament. 
The New Testament is very clear on that, isn't it? We take the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles. And Paul is an excellent example of that. That was his mission. We don't see that quite as clearly in the Old Testament. But there are places here and there throughout the Old Testament where we actually see the mission of God to the world lived out beyond the borders of Israel. And here's one of those instances where the people of God, yes, Israel was to be distinct, but that distinction was not so much ethnic or racial as it was religious and faith and biblical. Because if someone from outside, from a different place came in and believed, affirmed, confessed faith in Yahweh, they were welcomed and brought in to the community of faith. And Ruth is an example of that. So uh, it is, uh, this book is an example of the theme of God welcoming the foreigner, God welcoming the stranger into his fold. And I'm grateful that he does because that is what God does for us as Gentiles, doesn't he? Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were strangers. You were foreigners outside of the commonwealth of Israel. But God has brought you in. God has welcomed you. So Ruth is like us, just ahead of time. Ruth was brought into the fold of Israel and welcomed. And then the last phrase or the last clause of verse 22 says, and they came to Bethlehem, they arrived as barley harvest was beginning. And I, I love the way that the author of Ruth phrases certain things throughout his book. And we're going to see this really clear on display in chapter 2. But here's an example of one where the way that the author of Ruth phrases this, it's almost as if he's, he's saying, oh, and by chance... By happenstance, they just happened to arrive at the exact time that the barley harvest was coming in. But that's, that's also an irony, because when he uses language like that, he's using language like that to point to the fact that this is no coincidence at all, is it? This is no coincidence at all. This is another illustration of God's providential guiding hand that... They came back to Bethlehem just at the right time. Think about this. They got the news way back in Moab that God had provided food for his people. Apparently, they got that message before the food was on the table because the food is still in the fields. The fields have grown. They've been successful there's food in the fields ready to be harvested. They got the message that there's food back in Bethlehem. And they came. And they got there just as that harvest was beginning. So that they would be provided for. So that they would have food. And this is an example of God's providentially looking out for the good of his people. Naomi can't see it yet. But in all of these difficulties, in all of these tragedies that Naomi has been through, God has not forgotten her. God has not abandoned her. She might think that he has. She might think that he's against her, but he is not. He is moving, working for her good. 
And you see several elements of that goodness on display in chapter 1, primarily in Ruth, and also in God's provision of food for his people, and also in his safely guiding them back to Bethlehem. God is working for their good. And so in this passage, we see God's sovereignty, his good sovereignty on display, but also his, his openness, his open door to welcome in the stranger and the foreigner. And for that, I praise God. And as we move forward in Ruth, we're going to see just more examples of how God is, is weaving a beautiful tapestry. And, that, and that's really what Ruth is. When you read the whole story and you get to the end of it, and you kind of step back and you see the whole thing in its finished product, it's astounding at all that God did for these people. And not only for these people individually, but also for salvation history in accomplishing his plan. And so I hope that this passage that we looked at tonight is helpful and encouraging to you and strengthening your faith, reminding us of the good providence of God in our lives. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you that we have the honor and the privilege to think on your word. And we thank you tonight that this beautiful story of Ruth reminds us of your goodness and your grace, even in the midst of hardship and difficulty. We thank you, Father, that you have welcomed with open arms the foreigner and the stranger to come in by faith and be welcomed into your fold. Father, we thank you that we as Gentiles have been brought near through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that Ruth is a picture of that welcome. Father, we ask that you continue to teach us from your word, continue to strengthen our faith, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.